Hello and welcome back to another episode of Two Pre-Sales in a Pod. It's great to have you all here and it's a full house today. We've got Adam, we've got Don, we've got Tom, myself, Mark, and I am so pleased to welcome good friend of the team, Todd Jansen. Um, we're going to talk about episode 46, Wake Up, There's No Going Back. Well, that's a setup. Over to you, Todd. <laughs> Why is there no going back? <laughs> well, I guess I got to... Thank you guys for this. Um, gosh, I guess it was episode 44. You guys were doing kind of predictions for, for the next year. And uh, by the way, super enter- entertaining episode. Uh, one of my favorites. Um, and and at some point, Don, you, you like put the whole brakes on things. You're like, I, no, you like literally said, I'm putting the brakes on this conversation. And uh, you said, you know, there was essentially 10 years of digital transformation that com- got compressed in the last 18 months. And people are just kind of like struggling to absorb and, and keep up. And um, I think that that dovetailed into a conversation about um, kind of laggards and where people are at. And, uh, you know, this idea that there's a lot of people out there that still think we're going back. Yeah, we're still, this is just a temporary thing. Oh, it's a little bit longer than we thought, but you know, it's just around the corner. And um, it really dawned on me that there is no going back. And I think we'll probably dive into some of those reasons, but I, I was thinking about even my own life, you know, I'd, I'd set up kind of a temporary death situation for the last 18 months. Um, and right around that time, I just finally bit the bullet and did like a proper setup and, you know, sit down desk and real equipment um, and I realized even myself was, I was kind of in the duct tape camp of, you know, we're going to go back. And I think it's just a perfect metaphor for um, a lot of us out there. Um, but we are not going back, plain and simple. It reminded me of something I said to someone externally. And I said, let's stop like filling the holes with like, you know, the plaster, like polyfiller we'd have in the UK. I don't know what the equivalent is in the US, right? But, you know, a bit, bit of paste in the crack. Let's properly plaster the wall now because we're committing to this way of pre-sales or whatever that is. Um, and I think we should definitely unpack that. Um, but we've got to commit to whatever it is because do you know what? No, not only are we not going back, our buyers are not going back. Yeah, and, and, and that's just it. Um, you know, I, I listened to this podcast and a few others and, um, you know, I, I love what the future looks like for our profession and, you know, I'm all in. And um, But just because we all want it, just because we're all trying to make it happen, um, it is not going to happen just because we want it. Adam, to your point, the buyers changed, and that's why there is no going back. So, so we want to be super clear. It actually kind of has little to do with us about the, the whole change. Like it's happening whether we want it or not. Yeah. I, I, I was just going to stand back a little bit from what Todd said there. Thank you so much for you know kind of going back and saying, oh, on this episode and that episode. I was going to say when you get to my age, I have no idea what we said in any episode at all. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you. I was like, wow, we talked about that. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, uh, but, but that, that's brilliant. Kind of, you know, th- there are still a lot of smaller companies out there, you, you kind of the pre-sales thing, you know, this subservient thing to kind of sales and our job is just to kind of do, you know, the technical win and do the, the demo thing. And we get introduced as the, you know, the, um, here's my technical colleague. who will talk about all the ones and the zeros and everything, but it's, it's changed. You know, I use this analogy that a lot of people are talking about that, you know, consumer behaviors have come into the business world and 
and the expectation level about how you go about how they go about buying is is like I said is going to change forever, and we have to respond to it. You can't. You see a lot of sales teams they kind of shoehorn in and go, "This is what we've done for the last ten years. It was kind of successful for us." You know that how we went about selling. You know, you know things like interrupt marketing, and you know, like, um, hey, we've done fifty calls this week. That hasn't got the you know the the, the kind of pipeline we thought we we're going to get. Let's do a hundred calls. You know, that kind of stuff doesn't work anymore. We could, we all know that intuitively, but you know that consumer behaviors that in the business world that is that's not you know not going to change, um, and it moves on to the you know the whole thing that our good friends at Consensus talk about and Garen Hess in his book. You know, there we go, a bit of a. <laughs> <laughs> mentioned the book, you know, because um, it's selling is hard, uh, buying is harder, which is a brilliant title and kind of really says it all, isn't it? Is that yeah, we we we're not going to return from that. We have to kind of cope with the with it. it it's not going to help sales leaders saying, um, well, this this has worked for us in the last ten years. You know, we just continue doing that and shoehorning things like you know, like CRM systems have got this idea that um, you know, there's a graphic on the top on the top of all of them, and it starts to the left hand side, and a sale kind of goes through all these stages and there's things like Sandler selling technique which actually um, you know imagines them as part of a submarine where you go through an airlock and thou shalt not go backwards and we all know that that's not what selling looks like at all now it looks like a dropped plate of spaghetti it's completely all over the place and you have to you know it's a synchronous it's a complete it's a complete mess there's a great Forrester diagram that explains you know it, you know kind of what a, a real sales cycle looks like you know especially with what is it now 11 on average by stakeholders as part of the decision as, as many as 20 all these things have changed they can't go back they can't go back we have to respond to it in a very different way they really do now i'm looking forward to your next book don um how to how to sort out a great big plate of spaghetti uh, <laughs> i think it would be a very valuable thing having gone through a very complicated uh plate of spaghetti purchase process myself uh, you know being being have being the buyer and knowing that, that quite frankly, the sales process of the of the people people selling it was the simplest part of the whole thing. The more complicated thing was our ability to buy and our to sort out all of the stakeholders in our organisation, figure out what they wanted and when they wanted it, and it was a really difficult thing. So buying was very very much harder than it was for the people to 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 sell it. So to go through that is very valuable. And I think people should do it. Yeah. You know, one thing I've been paying attention to, because there is a renaissance happening, right? And, you know, I've talked about this. A lot of people are talking about there is a pre-sales renaissance happening. And there's a lot of focus. There's a lot of attention on this uh, profession. And, and, and so sometimes I have to take a step back and say, okay, am I living in an echo chamber? Am I just listening to the podcast that I want to listen to? And we're all saying the same thing. And this is great. Um, and there was something interesting that happened a few weeks ago was LinkedIn dropped their 2022 um, kind of state of sales report. And, you know, it was really interesting. It just basically said virtual selling is good for sellers. It's even better for buyers. Um, sales orgs are preventing their sellers from putting buyers first. Yeah. Um, essentially this, this behavior kills deals. Yeah. Um, we must adjust to remote work working world. Um, sales tech is the key to build trust. And data is even more critical. Now it's interesting, right? Because they're looking, they're they're writing that article through the lens of probably selling sales navigator. Yeah. But when I read that article, I couldn't help but think about Garen's book, Selling is Hard, Buying is Harder. 
it is absolutely buyer enablement coming through that state of sales report. And it made me, it kind of helped me breathe a sigh of relief because it was like, okay, we're not living in a bubble. This is what's, what sales has seen as well. I, I mean, I'm interested. I wish I could remember which report, but as you're talking, it's just reminded me of a stat. I saw literally this week and I, I'm going to, as soon as we stop recording, I'm going to remember where I read it, right? So I can't <laughs> quote the source. So if you're out there, I'm sorry if I get the percentage a couple of bits. This is wrong. frequent for you, by the way. Is it, yeah, this is like, this is normal, right? <laughs> genuinely, we don't age. really have a plan when we record. We just genuinely talk, right? So I read a, a stat this week. 80% of buyers want a digital experience of some kind, be that video, be that a web experience, whatever it is, okay? They want that digital offering. Only in reality, 20% of people, of companies, are able to offer that experience that matches how the buyer wants to buy. Now, I, I wish I could find that because that plays so much into what you're talking about. Um, go on, Don, you got your, you got, you, you're coming again. You may have read the same. Okay, I actually know a piece of research exactly. That there's a piece of trust radius research from, it's about a year old, and it said 87% of B2B buyers want a self-service route to content, which I think is that, you know, it's an even bigger number, but that, you know, that emphasizes the point. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I was just going to say, do we think that this is going to take away the importance of actually doing the demo? I, I, I've seen this firsthand um, where using something like consensus or similar platforms when you can deliver a self-service demonstration, especially that initial overview to the buyer, then what is the role of pre-sales? Well, in my opinion, it's, it's about being more consultative. If we're not doing the demos, then we can really talk about experiences. We can talk about success stories. We can really be part of value selling with ROI and analysis of their as-is activity rather than putting the focus on, on the demo. And then I guess when you come to look at things like existing customers and um, account management, we start to see even more of a crossover between pre-sales and uh, customer success, don't we? Because if, if pre-sales aren't doing the demo, customer success certainly aren't, if it's going to be um, self-service. I'd love to hear your ideas in terms of how is that differentiation going to sort of exist in the future if we're having less of an importance on the demo? Yeah, a couple of things on that. Um, and this is, this is probably going to shock some people. Um, I think as a profession, we probably demo too much. And I've said that for a very long time. Um, I actually, for a while, had the title of chief demo officer at Salesforce. Um, so it might be shocking to hear that from <clears throat> someone that once held that title. Um, but I think we do. You know, it's 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 the axe we always have in our hands, so we wield it. And, um, you know, what you're really tapping into, which I like, is... And, you, and there's many discussions on this podcast about the title pre-sales, right? Um, it's kind of a love-hate thing. Um, it might be a better descriptor of our past, right? And it might be this bucket that we kind of lump things in, but I think the existing titles that we call ourselves by might really be holding us back, right? So when you know we use the, the title sales engineer, demo is so synonymous with it, right? You see that title and you just you just see demo. And so I'm kind of lately been thinking about is um, are we due for some title changes? Because as soon as you you change a name, as soon as you change the title name, all of a sudden it's like, is demo at the core of that new role? Kind of to your point, Tom, about about 
you know, if the title implies something around the buyer or, hey, they're already an existing account, does that change everything? I think we need to explore it. Yeah. I just wanted to, um, people may know this from if you've listened to previous podcasts, but we can actually all see each other when we're recording this. So we're doing this on Zoom, even though you're experiencing it as as a kind of audio podcast thing. So sometimes I have to do the, for the listener at home, when Todd said, um, maybe we demo too much, I just want to tell you, right, that we're, uh, we were either all giving him a virtual round of applause, a silent one, or there was thumbs up or violent nodding. There was all kinds of stuff going on there. And um, I just wanted to add something to what Todd said the last little bit there, is that um, I used to spend a lot of time talking to people who kind of like large-scale change management consultants. And one of the things they always used to say is if you want you kind of do a dramatic piece of change management, you need to start changing the language. Okay. So, you know, maybe, you know, we can't, whatever it is, SEs, pre-sales, whatever it is, you know, we do need to do a large piece of, you know, piece of change management to move into the future to be kind of, you know, more of a kind of buyer focus. And, and maybe a way to help that is to kind of leave that job title behind and move to a, a new one, because then you, you, you've left the legacy of what all these things, the meaning and how other people interpreted what your role was. You've left it behind and you give yourself a fresh new um uh, you know, title and, and a way for people to kind of interpret what they expect of you. I, I think you're spot on, by the way, about the demo. It made me think back to my early career in pre-sales because I came from consulting, right? I was an accountant before I went in. I went to finance software and I, I love the demo as much as anyone you will ever meet. Honestly, I wish you could see my face light up when I talk about the word demo, right? I adore that feeling when a customer, and I was talking with Tom, right, about this separately yesterday. I said, as a leader, that's the one thing I really miss more than anything is that ability to go to a customer, take some challenges, solve it with a mic drop moment, and they're in love with it, and you know they're going to sign up. There is no better feeling for pre-sales pro. And if you don't get that buzz, you're in the wrong profession, right? And I think, with that said, it's the bit most pre-sales people love. And I think sometimes we go into discovery, and we go into the early stage of sales cycle looking for, not are we likely to close a deal or not, are we going to demo or not? Because that's the bit we want to get to. It's almost like we put so much pressure and so much onus on that. When actually, if you think from a buyer's perspective, right, take the hat off. Do they really want to sit in a demo anymore? No, they do not. They do not want to sit there and take three, four, even a day out of their time to sit and be presented to because they're busy. They're doing the day jobs that pay for the software. So do you know what? Like sell the way they want to buy. And unfortunately, that means that maybe, and this is really controversial, I'm going to say it anyway, maybe we have to let go of some of the stuff we love in the long term, which is why I think you're spawn, Todd, that pre-sales is maybe a descriptor of our past. I think the future is to be determined because I get involved in marketing, I get involved in customer success, I get involved in product stuff, more than I demo now. And that's the reality of it, right? Mm-hmm. I'd love to get to Todd on this. I just wanted to add in there about kind of demos because I'm lucky to get to see a lot of demos and give feedback and and coaching on it. And you see a lot of people in our profession, you know, especially if you've been in it a little while, it's a very safe place to be. It's a predictable place to be doing a demo because you've you've practiced Mm. it. You you know, as long as you're not getting loads of objections or kind of questions in the middle of it, it, it almost feels like, you know, this amount of time, 
you know, hopefully it's not 45 minutes because, you know, that world's gone. But let's say if you're still doing that, like here's this 45 minute demo and you kind of left your own devices, you might have a little bit of a script thing in front of you and off you go. And, it, and it's lovely. You kind of, I know what I'm doing. I know what I'm going to say next. Hopefully I know what the system's going to do and perform. Uh, and it feels like a safe place. But there's a, there's a great quote from uh, Bob Verrustal, um, who's the kind of, you know, demo to win guy. Um, and what he said is if you're not including kind of, you know, a value proposition inside when you're doing this, then that's not demoing, that's training. So I would kind of say that a lot of us have got comfortable with what actually is just training and we feel it's safe. And, and as you know, small anecdote, if I went back like 15 years, I used to be able to do a 45 minute, one hour demo. And, and basically I, the, the thing I had, it was scripted, but I'd got the script down to the back of a business card. That was all I needed to do to, to kind of prompt me what to do to get myself through 45 minutes. And I, I love doing it. It was a very safe thing for me to do. And I'd get to the end of it and just go, ta-da, does anyone want to buy it? <laughs> what's, a, what's a business card? I've got a QR code. Say, what's a business card? You might card need to gone? explain that one, uh, again, for the listeners at home. <laughs> it, it, Adam and Don, as I was hearing you talk, I kind of imagined this um, – the singer going from town to town and really evaluating each town. If there was a, a stage to maybe perform on, right. Kind of sizing up the town. Like, could I have a concert here? You know, is, is, is kind of this metaphor that jumped in my head, but um, yeah, you know, I mean, you listen to, to Peter Cohen, you know, you know, at Salesforce, we've often talked about. Um, so what, who cares? Like you, you have to just put that right up front. Um, I've been using this analogy for years that, a demo has to be a lot more like Led Zeppelin's Levy Break than Stairway to Heaven, right? Because like, unless you know Stairway to Heaven's this amazing song, you're not going to hang around for the crescendo at the end. You know, you got to get out there with the drums and the three-story elevator shaft and, and hit them hard. But, um, I, you know, I, I think why this, <clears throat> the kind of wake up thing, right? Why, why it's been so heavy on my mind is that um, it's happening, right? I think we're all kind of in agreement here. We're all nodding here. And we have a big decision to make. And that decision is, are we going to play a role in it? Is, are we going to seize this opportunity to have a bigger seat at the table for those that want it? And I know not everyone wants that. Um, and, and, you know, when I, when I hear James Kakis over Pre-Sales Collective talk, right, he's always talking about how this profession is customer-centric. Right. And that is, I think, what makes us the most equipped, the best prepared, and the most likely to do it. But if we don't, and I think we've talked about this earlier, um, someone else will. And so I'm nervous. Like, I'm just, I'm just kind of like, we have this great momentum. There's an amazing renaissance happening. There's software popping up for pre sales people. There's, there's shows like this. But that's great, but I'm nervous because if we don't jump at it, someone else will. I'm, I'm interested, Todd. I want to ask your honest opinion on this and feel free to, to, to kind of gauge how, how you respond here. I think our profession's changing right before our eyes, and I think some people are better equipped, and I also think some leaders are better equipped than others, and I think you will start to see pre-sales people moving organizations for what their vision of the future state of pre-sales is. I definitely think we're at that point. I really... I really do. So pre-sales leaders out there, you, you've got to get your house in order. You've got to find out what your plan is because there are pre-sales people that are becoming disillusioned with the, hey, we're going to go back to how we used to work because we ain't, because the buyers aren't right. Do you think 
with that recalibration, and that's what I want to call it, the, the boundaries of a typical job role, and I, I would say the same of marketing, I would say the same of sales, customer success, pre-sales. Do you think that's going to bring tension to some orgs? Do you think that um, not these are battles that have to be fought, but these are lines that have to be drawn of actually what are we there to do now? And I think each of those functions needs to do that, right? I mean, is that, is that something you agree with? I do, uh, and I, I agree with that because um, changing some of our existing institutions is going to be very, very hard. Um, incredibly hard. Um, you're you're going to kind of die on a lot of hills trying to make that change happen. Um, and, and to your point, Adam, I think there will be these companies that pop up and they're going to be able to attract people because they're going to sell differently. Um, you know, our, our friends over at Consensus were posting job recs yesterday for salespeople. And you and I both chimed in on that. It was like, if I was a salesperson, I would be over there in a heartbeat because one, it's a different way of selling and it is selling of the future. And I, we have firsthand experience because I actually love talking to my, my sales rep over there every single week. Shout out to Rex there. Yeah. <laughs> is he, is he everybody's sales rep? Like, Wait, he's, he's yours a, too? He's a busy guy. <laughs> yeah, he won't be listening to this because he'll be sunning himself in the Bahamas now because, you know, we all, we're all by him. No, but he is genuinely, if you have a chance to speak to him, I, I will give him kudos here. But, Are you sure it's not a kind of metaverse avatar that's just called Rex? <laughs> it's a bot. Interacting with? <laughs> Rex bot. So advanced, we don't even know it yet. Yeah. He did send me a random text one day. And I was like, question mark, question mark. And he's like, oh, that, sorry, that was for someone else. And I'm like, are you cheating on me? <laughs> <laughs> that was probably me. Sorry, Todd. Wait, he's texting you too? <laughs> so oh, he's back texting? To I've, I've got to ask you. So one of our 2022 predictions was the rise in maybe like pre-sales as, as a marketing overlap and things like that. And I know that you've got some, some feelings on this, right? I mean, I, I think I've said it before. Um, there's nothing stopping other departments like marketing from hiring pre-sales professionals. Yeah. Um, and, and I was actually talking to Garen Hess about this the other day. Um, you know, I think our challenges is we might not be close enough to the sales leader or the CRO, depending on the org structure of where we work, right? We, not, we might not be that voice in their ear but there are plenty of people that are that voice in their ear currently, right? Marketing might be one of them, right? They might have a chief of staff. Um, there might be, you know, the team, the strat team that's crunching all the numbers. All it's going to take is for one of those departments to wake up, right? Read the LinkedIn article, maybe stumble across Garen's um, Selling is Hard, Buying is Harder book for the light bulb to go on. And the next week they'll be in that office going, we got to change. Please fund me to go hire the team to start this whole buyer enablement thing. This is the future. And now we're out in the cold. Got it, yeah. I, there's a kind of, if you go up a level, there's a kind of bigger observation with all of this is all of this huge change has happened. And you have to point a finger, I hope pe marketing people don't take this the wrong way, 
but you're going to probably. They're going <laughs> to, which is marketing has been asleep at the wheel with all of this going on. Because if you think, you know, what is the definition of marketing and what should they take control of? And, um, you know, all these things, you know, the new way we do kind of, you know, digital journeys that uh, they're not just, you know, it's no longer a segregation of marketing, do a load of stuff. And then there's a marketing qualified lead. And then we just throw it over this wall into sales. And then sales kind of throw it over into this customer success thing. And then a load of stuff that they're not interested in because they don't earn any commission on. Uh, kind of happens after that is that you're going to stop you've got to forget about all of that is that all of it is the same thing do you know what i mean it's all, it's all part of these kind of infinity cycles it, it is amazing kind of how ingrained we are to the b2b model that we've all kind of lived right and i i've i've i posted something that i didn't think would be that controversial on linkedin but it was um and it was this idea of like we need to kill the quote-unquote schedule a demo button on your website yeah. Right. The, the button should be called send me the demo. And it was controversial. And I was like, how is that controversial? And then I realized how ingrained we are in the past, how long we've all been operating in this mode. Don, to your point, the, the, the way marketing takes a lead and drops it off at the top of the funnel or at the top layer of the funnel kind of washes their hands of it. Um, and, and then the last part, got to follow the money how many tech companies make software for the traditional B2B model? Yeah. Thousands, right? So can, when you think about it, it's entrenched, it's ingrained. This change is going to be controversial, but Don, to your point, and I love this point, um, whenever I'm trying to promote a tool like consensus and, you know, buyer enablement and, and people go, well, have you talked to marketing? Maybe they would be interested in this. And, and my response always is, and I'm so angry when people say that in the kind of the pre-sales spaces, like last time I checked, it wasn't marketing's job to pull your deal through the funnel. Absolutely true. Yeah. Really is pour them in the top and then, uh, you know, they've got a bit of glitch on the outside, but I think a reset of, uh, of what we're talking about here is if a buyer implicitly trusted the organization that they were buying from, like 100% trusted, they could say, does your software do what we need? They'd say yes, and they'd buy it. Brilliant. Well, we don't, it doesn't quite like happen like that. But the, but the opposite way is prove every single thing. Hmm. No, it doesn't always work, work like that either, but we've all seen um, proof of concepts. Um, that didn't really need to be run. So somewhere in between, there has to be that trust journey for the buyer. I don't know why it's necessarily with with specifically pre-sales or specifically sales. It, it, the buyer goes through all of the stages, not knowing necessarily which part they're in. So you're right. I think we could spread the responsibility across into the different places. You, you've got to think about this, right, from a modern buyer perspective. You think like, so for everyone knows I love my Peloton bike, right? You go back it's to his, pre-pandemic, right? And I've, I've raced Todd on the Peloton previously. I would say pretty unsuccessfully, actually. But um, you think of that. You think you go back to 2018, right? I would have gone to the gym. I'd have gone to a spin class. I personally wouldn't have dreamed of bringing a spin bike into my house, all right? I was taken on a journey as a buyer into thinking differently, about spending a significant amount of money on something to bring into my house and actually reconfigured my office to make it fit. Yeah. I made space for that in my world. Now you think what a modern buyer is doing when they go to work, 
they take those behaviors with them. We always talk about B2C transcending B2B. And to, to your point, and I think you, you made earlier, Mark, market tipping leads in the top. That's, that's, that culture is dying because it's, it's a way of communicating. The trust comes from a consistent communication stream that builds trust, that builds identity, that builds a new way of thinking. And I'll tell you my prediction, actually, that I didn't reveal on the show, but I think feeds into this lovely. I think we'll start to see the, de- the death of the company deck because why would you need a company deck to start a sales pitch or a presentation? They should already know. In a buyer enabled model, they should know what you're about, they should know what you stand for, and they should know why you're there. You know, I'd be, Tom, I'd love to get your thoughts on that. Yeah, I want to go back to what Mark said about kind of like, would you need to demo? Would you need to show all this stuff at the trust? Trust was there. Um, and that's something I picked up on that LinkedIn uh, state of sales report. They were talking about the behavior that kills deals, right? So 48% said the thing that kills deals the most was misleading product information or pricing information. 44% said not understanding their needs. And 43% said um, not, not understanding um, the products or services that you sell. Can I add you, isn't there a really interesting thing with this is that, because um, we've already mentioned in a previous podcast, kind of explored to detail, if you got rid of the term pre-sales and any preconceptions you've got about what the role actually does, and then you focused on it, well, actually there's a skill set there, uh, which is credible, it's authentic, it's a technical authority, it's able to influence, it's able to do an advocate. And you kind of think, you know, where is that useful right across a kind of buyer journey? Um, and, it, and it takes you well away from kind of mid-funnel sales cycle things, doesn't it? It's, a, you know, it's much beyond that. You know, it, so going back to something Todd kind of said, what stops, what's stopping marketing um, hiring their own SEs, their own kind of pre-sales people? Well, when, when you think about it is that, you know, if certainly in its social world, if social influence isn't about brand, it's about individuals, well, who's best place to actually do that and kind of create trust, you know, a long way away, you know, this kind of attraction education phase, a long way away from anything that even looks like a sale and go to what Mark says about, you know, building trust a long way away, you know, and it's not marketing message. It doesn't look like an advert. It looks authentic. And by the way, you are actually starting to see some consumer brands doing something similar. You know, some of the TV adverts, you kind of go, well, that's not a professional act it's intentional you know they kind of got into this it's you know the authenticity of it all so get rid of the job title and think about what does that skill set you know where is it in demand from a buyer and it's right across the whole thing it's amazing isn't it right across everything that a buyer wants to touch they want to speak to us we're the first person we want to get to and going back to Todd's point about the button at the top right hand side that says you know book a demo and we all well even buyers know we're all sensible to this now it, it doesn't mean book a demo it means book a call with a BDR and if you pass the qualification of that, you'll get a chat with an AE who will qualify exactly the same way. And if you're really lucky and, you know, have answered it in the right way, you f- might finally get to meet the person you wanted to speak to, us. Exactly. Exactly. You know, um, I, can, I can get passionate about this and get wound up. Um, you know, I don't want to oh, this as like do, 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 doom and gloom. And, you know, we have to do this. I guess, I guess um, to, to, to put a positive spin on it, there's just an incredible opportunity right now. There's an incredible opportunity to shape the future. It is like right there for the picking. It is, it is ours to take. 
And it probably won't happen with you marching in to the head of the sales office and say, we got to change everything. Um, you know, it's probably got to start small and you're going to have to like take a few people and you go, I'm going to line these people to this sales team. and We're going to sell different for the next six months. Watch what we do. And that's probably where you start it. I gotta say, we're probably coming to the end of the episode. And we kind of like to leave on practical tips. I think that was an outstanding one. I mean, the one I would leave people to go in, you know, think about over the next week or so till the next episode. Think, would you buy your software if you had the budget, if you had the authority to buy, if you had the need and you had the time scale, so you bank qualified yourself, right? Would you buy your software the way you're selling it? You know, just just think about that. Take some post-it notes, whack them on a wall, and go. How do we move through a sales cycle? And if if your answer to that is no do something about it because your buyers will, if you don't, your buyers will vote with their feet and say, Hey, I don't want to buy this way. So please do start that journey. I think it's important. Yeah. I, I just want to say uh, there is actually a tool that will help you with that. It comes from the design thinking world called customer journey mapping, which is I think in pre-sales, some of the larger tech companies have been using this for you know quite a few years, but it, it's kind of one of these, you know, you know, eat your own burger, drink your own champagne, do, do it to yourself rather than because we tended to use it as a part of a sales tool to look at our customer and their customers, customers relationship. Well, stop doing that, you know, apply it to yourself and, and see the world has changed. Buyers do not want to buy the way they bought before absolutely and um my actionable insight would be um if you run a team get your team or if you're an ic go and find in your company the people who are actually buying some software if you are in a company it is likely that someone is going through a purchase process right now for a piece of software it could be it it could be something to do with crm it could be add-ons for something that already exists go and say i'd like to shadow those meetings and just feel what it's like because you know you need to get something out of that meeting and see whether or not the people that's selling to to your company um are doing it so just like you said don experience from the other perspective and it's a shocker <laughs> And I think for me, um, something that you said, Todd, which really resonated, um, is about trust. It's about building that trust with the buyer. And if we are moving away from just doing demos, how can we build that trust? And I think if you look at a lot of the big consultancy firms, they will often partner with software vendors and they will be selling a software contract without ever doing a demo because they've already got the trust behind their brand and buyers trust their, their advisory um, to go and buy that product, if we can build up that same amount of trust, I think that's really what's needed if we're moving away from the demo. So, Todd, any any final thoughts? Anything? Um, I know we could get super super passionate about that on this show. I think all of us are the same ilk. But I think what what I've seen from the outside of networking with you, I can only resonate. Like you walk the walk as well as talk the talk, and I think that's incredibly both inspiring and refreshing. I think you bring a unique perspective to our industry. Um, if anyone is not following Todd, you are missing out, right? Because you do get these fantastic little nuggets that you can just take and scale. And what I love about you is, even though you're a massive company, a huge company, fantastic company, you still have an ability to translate the language and the ideas 
into something that anyone can digest. So I think from all of us, we you know, just thank you for giving back to the community. Thank you for sharing your ideas because you don't have to, right? You do it because you want to. Um, and you really are, you're a thought leader. Um, and I, I, I thank you for that. I, well, um, appreciate that. Uh, and, and can I just maybe, maybe plug this podcast? Um, we were talking about this a little bit earlier. Um, I have so many favorite episodes. I'm a weekly listener. It's my walk out my front door, put the headphones on, um, and listen type of thing. Um, you guys cover this huge range of topics. And one of my favorite episodes was the last episode. I didn't, you know, I didn't know where the episode was going and you guys started talking about mental health. And then you, you end the episode with like, call me, like if you're struggling, call me. And, you know, I don't, I don't see that happening in the professions that surround pre-sales. Right. And I think, you know, I left that episode just so grateful. Um, so just so happy that I'm here in this, this great profession and people care. And, you know, Don, you said some stuff in that episode. It's just like, it stopped me in my walk. I just stopped. And um, we, we really do have something special. And, you know, as far as giving back, I mean, you guys are doing a tremendous amount there. And I just love tuning in every week because you never know what you're going to get. Um, you know, it could be mental health one week. It could be your, your blooper show um, from a year ago, which um, all the wildlife, by the way, in my neighborhood thinks I'm, I'm back crazy because, I, I will just be in the middle of nowhere laughing. So, yeah. <laughs> awesome. It's been so. a pleasure to have you on, Todd. Uh, we're really looking forward to um, welcoming you back sometime. And I've got to find out, I've got to challenge uh, you and Adam to a Peloton off at some point then. <laughs> that would be, sounds like a brilliant idea. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. Do make sure you listen again soon. And with that, it's goodbye from us. Bye. 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 Bye.